Um, good to see you. Uh, it's been quite a week. And if you join us online, I want to give you a very warm welcome. Thank you for being uh, part of our community, where it be locally all, all over the world. And we've been um, uh, traveling through the book of Romans. Uh, well, actually, just one chapter, chapter 8 in the book of Romans. And looking at the very powerful truths that exist within, within that chapter. Verse by verse, we're going to motor through. I'm going to motor all the way through to Canada Day. And then uh, Canada Day weekend, I'm going to have off. And um, good uh, uh, Russ Wilson will be preaching for us. I'm going to be in the Yukon. Uh, I'm going to uh, go on the Watson trip. So, yes, I'm not going in the bus, um, which is three days in a yellow bus. Uh, I've given those days up, I think. Well, I shouldn't say that, should I? The Lord might call me. Um, whoever knows. But uh, I'll be flying. They've invented planes, you know, for that trip. So I'll be... Uh, entering a cylinder and flying up to, uh, I guess, Yellowknife and then driving four and a half hours. It doesn't matter what time I land there because it'll be daytime anyway. And then meet our youth team and encourage them and then meet our children's team as they arrive and then encourage them and then get on a plane and come back. Um, and so we're, uh, I'll be up there for about four days. But f- we're going to finish off our journey through uh, Romans um, and, and uh, really uh, step into that. Uh, many of you know that my wife, Michelle, has been with all the Pursuit students and Joel in France working amongst Sudanese refugees. They had a remarkable time ministering and working. Uh, I've had a remarkable time being at home with three children. So, uh, yeah, I know you don't really care. Uh, but but, but what, what begins now is the um, deep clean that has to happen. If you're free tomorrow. <laughs> I joke, it is a labor of my sacrificial love to ensure that my marriage continues to be blessed. I will finally tidy up. Um, I, I overemphasize, it's of course spotless. Um, Romans 8.22. Uh, we begin by understanding that the apostle has taken us on this journey. Through talking that there's no condemnation. That we can have utter confidence in our salvation. That the inner man can be transformed and the flesh can die and Christ can live within us. These are profound. We dealt with the verse in Romans 8. This is the most significant verse for Christian discipleship in the Bible. It's that verse that talks about putting to death the nature. Putting to death, mortifying the flesh. Chopping off, destroying, getting rid of those areas within our life that we know that are not pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the very fundamental basis of the Christian walk, is that I am being changed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Paul makes it clear in this chapter that we are to be a people of the Spirit, mentioned 21 times. That we've experienced the mega miracle, which is the miracle of salvation. That you and I can look in the mirror and remind ourselves that we are a mega miracle because we were once lost, but now we are found. That's the mega miracle. But we can also understand that we're on a journey. Fundamentally, we are walking dead. We are walking towards something so remarkable. The day when we receive true, complete, and utter real life. That day will happen. We may feel alive now. We may feel as if we are pretty good. But compared to what the coming glory will bring, it is nothing compared to the glory of Christ that will be revealed within a believer's life. And you can experience that. And when I'm walking towards it, and these thoughts the apostle wants us to know should captivate us, should hold us, should grab hold of our lives, and should, should, our very soul itself should be leaning towards the truth of this glory. He taught us that, that, yes, we live on this world and we suffer, as every human being suffer. As every individual, we go through times of difficulty and times of suffering and times of pain. But there's a difference between the world and you and I. And the difference is this. He uses this phrase, with. When we suffer, when we travel through difficult times, times of challenge, times of difficulty, the truth is this, we suffer with Christ. Now think about that. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we battle. Yes, we may face sickness, difficulty at work, family strain, Grief and agony and emotional frustration, uh, mental illness and so much within our world that we live in. But I want to remind you that when we travel through those days of difficulty and we travel through those days of suffering, we don't suffer alone. Christ is with us. Christ understands us and Christ walks with us through that journey that you are going through. Then we get to these verses, 22. I'm going to try and handle two sections this morning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present day. Not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now this passage is about eternity. It's about your future. It's about where you will end up. It's about the eternal life that we are waiting, that even creation itself in its fallen state since, um, since Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and particularly verse 17 where, where there's the, the pain and the curse that has hit this planet, the whole planet is groaning. Groaning and waiting for the great moment. Groaning when all things will be put right. Groaning when 
when humanity and the sons of humanity, of, of the Lord himself, uh, who have been adopted, will receive their fullness. When something remarkable will happen to them. When something incredible will change them. And the whole of creation is groaning. It says that even our bodies are groaning for this day. Now you may be getting older, as I am, and I seem to be doing a lot more groaning than I ever did. But that groaning in your body, that groaning in our decay, that groaning as we move towards death, that groaning that is there, but death is not the end. This passage deals with eternity that is promised for you and I, human beings. (laughs) Right back from the very beginning with the, if you go to the earliest story of humanity that is documented, Actually, in the Bible, it's it's a story about Gilgamesh, a ruler in southern Iraq who sees the horror of death and goes on a great quest to find eternal life because of the pain and the suffering, because of the agony that is in the world. He searches for that eternal life. He searches for something remarkable. He searches for that gift because death seems so unfair. Death seems so wrong. Seeing his friend die, the great king goes on his great epic. And this is the earliest story in humanity of humanity searching for eternal life. I wonder why it is the earliest story in humanity that we have documented through archaeology. And the reason is because one day we had eternal life, but through the wages of sin, we lost eternal life. Now you'll notice in these verses, although it's dealing with eternity, it doesn't mention a peculiar word that you would think would be there. What word is this? Heaven. Paul's talking about an age to come. He's talking about a moment that will take place. He's talking about a glorious moment, but it doesn't mention heaven. It doesn't mention heaven. And why does it mention heaven? Human beings talk a lot about heaven. In popular culture, they talk about heaven. Human beings are trying to capture what's called the Gilgamesh Project. That is to live forever. We are obsessed with living as long as we possibly can. And we do this through a number of ways. We do it through genetics and DNA. There are billions of dollars being spent in the world today to prolong life. They are working with genetics and working this through. I mean, I mean it's amazing what genetics can do. They actually, for an art exhibition, took a rabbit, a normal rabbit, and then uh, mixed the DNA with a jellyfish that was bright Green and produced, voila, a green rabbit. It's amazing what they can do. What they can do with messing with genes now and so on. Now, why would they want to do something like that? Well, the rabbit that is turned green is really a metaphor of our desire to get rid of death within the world. That we work at this. I mean, in 19... 1996, they amazed the world by growing a human ear on the back of a mouse. They have taken potatoes, which are 
subject to the dangers of frost. And they've spliced it with a deep sea creature that is resistant to freezing and put a gene in the potato so that the potato will last longer. And if frost comes, this potato will not be destroyed. They're designing at the moment a pig with good fats within it, not bad fats. Omega-3s. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's still going to kill you. Uh, but that's what they're working on. They, they've designed dairy cows that don't suffer with cystitis. Because of this, they've taken a worm and they have taken the DNA of a worm and they have developed it so the worm lives six times longer than the worm should live and they can apply that same science fiction which is no longer fiction to the humanity to be able to enable us they are saying one day to live six times longer than you currently live wow Or from a worm. Sounds like the days of Noah. And they've taken the DNA of a mammoth. They're going to place that for $30 million, apparently, into an elephant to produce a woolly mammoth. And there hasn't been one of those for 5,000 years. You see, we're searching for eternal life. We're searching for the superhuman. They took a mouse and they, they, they... we're able to take its intelligence and, and not just double it or triple it, but make it a super intelligent mouse. They took a vole, who, voles are very promiscuous, by the way. They just sleep around with every vole, except there's one vole in the world that has a monogamous relationship. And they took that, that little DNA and they're saying that if they can get that DNA and put it into men, they'll always be faithful to their wives. From a vole. Now this seems like fiction, but it is reality of what is happening in our world. But there is one thing driving it. It's the desire to be superhuman. It's the desire to be perfect. It's the desire to live forever. It is the desire to be bionic and not to die and have eternal life. But I let me tell you, there is only one way to have eternal life. And it comes not through messing with DNA. It comes from the DNA of the blood of Christ that comes into your life and gives you eternal life. That's where it comes from. People are searching for longevity, but longevity is only found in Christ. You and I are going to live forever. But it doesn't mention heaven. Why? You see, we think of heaven as clouds. We think of heaven As little pudgy babies with wings playing harps. There's a stereotypical view of heaven. So what is he talking about? Well, true when you die. When you die, your spirit, your personality, your character... Who you are, the distinctiveness of who you are is uploaded to God in his glory. To the home, to the place. Now the FBI tell me that if you look at your thumb, every fingerprint is 
Not that I've had much contact with the FBI, by the way. But that every fingerprint is unique. That your fingerprint is absolutely unique within who you are. And within you, who you are as a human being, the day that you die, your character, your personality, your very consciousness of who makes you who you are, the uniqueness of, if you like, the fingerprint of your soul is taken to what we call heaven, to the home, to be with Christ. Until that day. See, that's not the end of the story, heaven. Because one day a trumpet will sound. And as the ancient rabbis used to say, that all the very spirits of humanity go and they are under the throne of God and they're like embers, they burn. But one day God's breath will breathe on them and they will come alive again. In all of his glory. So not only, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are going to live forever. And that's why sometimes you feel like you think, well, this is amazing. I wish this could last forever. This is amazing. You know, you know when you get to heaven, when you live for eternity, there are some things you're never going to have to ask. Like, how old are you? How do you feel? Did you sleep well? I don't know what English people are going to do. Um, that's all we ever ask people. Did you sleep well? <laughs> people go to me, why do you ask if I slept well? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, how's the weather? We're not even going to need to ask that, are we? Because the sun and the glory comes from God alone. What should this, how should this affect us? How should this drive us? How should this be? That actually what the apostle is saying is not only, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen and is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What is he talking about? He's talking about this very idea that we are waiting patiently for the great day when our bodies will rise, when heaven and earth will marry and God will renew all things and God will come and the world is feeling the pain and the agony. Let me give you some scriptures to remind you about eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. Therefore, we are always confident to know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When you die, you are at home with the Lord. He's there. But you are waiting for the moment when heaven and earth are reunited and God creates all things again new. Philippians says, I am torn between the two. I desire 
to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I'm torn. I live on this world. I am where I am and I desire. Paul was so close to Christ that he desired to depart from this mortal coil because he knew that he would be with Christ one day. And as sure as you can be sure on this, when you are in Christ, one day you will be in a far better place with him. It's hard to imagine, I know. But what should this do? That God's going to renew all things. He's going to renew creation. And start to bring all things round. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautiful and dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be Be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old old order of things has passed away. Isn't that fantastic? That's the promise for you and I. This is what the apostle is talking about. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything New. That includes you and me. We're going to be new. We're not going to be new because they pull a rabbit out the hat. We're going to be new because of the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world and gives us the gift of eternal life because his presence is with us. Write down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If we really believe this, it would utterly change, should change our devotion, our passion, our prayer life, our love for Jesus. It should revolutionize the way that we are. Our Christianity in the light of these truths shouldn't be complacent. We should take it up a gear because we know that one day the body itself will rise and you only have to read uh, a large passage like 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to understand the glorious moment of when God renews all things and creation itself is groaning for this. Creation wants this. Creation feels the weight and the pull of this and even towards this day when Christ will return, the, the nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. There is a great moment, a great birthing, a great event which will be the most glorious event in all of history. And it's that moment when God himself will come and And dwell amongst his people. He'll come. Dwell amongst us. 
but you can feel the birth pains in the world. You can feel the earthquakes. You can feel the agony. You can watch volcanoes erupting in Hawaii. You can see the wars. You can see people crying for peace. You can feel it that God is coming. But there's that little phrase in Romans that says, and you are the first fruits. First fruits. We first fruits. What does this mean? We and you and I are the first fruits of the glory of God that is going to descend upon the earth. Your salvation, your prayer life, your intimacy, your ability to go into the holy of holies, your ability to bind and to loose, you as a priesthood of all believers, you that has been given a deposit, a treasure where God dwells within you and he has made his home within you. This, he has given you the first fruits in your life. This has to change the way we view what we travel through in life. It has to take our eyes from always being down to setting our eyes on being up and believing. And believing. You may be wondering, this is Alan Gardner, Captain Alan Gardner, sir, uh, naval officer. Many years, brilliant uh, captain for many years in the British Navy. He, 1850s, was chased around, no doubt, by the French and, and had to dodge cannonballs and so on. But Christ came and revolutionized his life. A little known missionary. He founded the first ever mission, evangelical mission to South America. And he wasn't given a commission after many years in uh, the captain's role. So he devoted his life when they no longer called him to the open seas to being a missionary and praying for the world. And the Lord guided him to South America, to the Falkland Islands, those bleak little islands that are British apparently. And there they are. Right off Argentina where we had a a certain war in 1984. And took him right down there. And then with his, his boat and his crew, they went south to the very islands at the tip of Chile. And there he set out to evangelize and to reach and to bring Christ and to set a, a mission in the farthest flung areas of the world. Problem was, they only had enough food until they reached the bay. And the land is bleak. It's impossible to get food. It is horrific. And they waited and waited in the spot for the supply ships to come. But the supply ships never arrived. We have his journals. And this, I explain this because here is a man as he sat with his crew of missionaries. As the food ran out, as people died around him, they waited and they waited. And he wrote about this experience. And his last ever 
words he wrote in the captain's log were these words. He said, This ship has become our most beautiful Bethel. For the presence of God is so profound. I can say and do nothing except that I am so very happy to be in the presence of Christ. And he died. Now that's Romans 8 being lived out. That where even in the most darkest of situations, Captain Allen lifted his eyes up and as he lifted his eyes up, he said, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how I'm there, but somehow the glory of Christ is with me. I die here and I suffer here, but I suffer here with the presence and manifest glory of Bethel, of the glory of God that is present. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the depth of his Christian walk? Can you imagine the depth of his, that he'd be even within his journey, he'd be too weak to pray? Have you been there when you've just felt too weak to pray? And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through words and groans. Have you been here? Have you been at that point? And this is so overlooked in our evangelical world. This is so overlooked that we forget about prayer. There's a form of praying, and it's not talking about Tongues here is a form of prayer that is so deep, that is so profound, that is so guttural, that is so from within us with God's spirit and what we're traveling through that we groan as we pray deep within ourselves. And the beauty of this passage is that when we feel there is no way forward and all we can do is groan, the Holy Spirit comes to us. God hears your groans, your battles, your difficulties, and your pain. Groan. Not an area of prayer, we talk about it, but the Spirit comes to you on board of your ship of life and you groan through wordless groans within you and who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, that God's right with you. But look at this. The Spirit helps. The Greek construct for this is actually... um, Quite interesting because it's linked to another passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. You know the story. The story is of Mary Mary and Martha. Who gets the good rap in the story? Mary, of course. She's at the feet of Jesus. 
Martha is running around like a workaholic. Which one would you be in the story? And, and yet there's a beautiful phrase here, that the uh, same phrasing that the apostle uses. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Same. Same. What does this tell you about this verse and that phrase? It tells you that when you are struggling... That when you are groaning, when you are facing the battles of life and you're setting your eyes on the things to come, when the presence of God is with you, you groan, the Holy Spirit comes to you. And the promise is the Holy Spirit will help you through the darkest times of your life because there he is present, he is with you. And we can set our eyes on this knowledge that his Spirit through your groans, through your difficulties, he will come and reach you and help you and be with you and intercede you and will not leave you and will not forsake you. Have you been there? I know so many of you have. But when you groan, wordless groans, If you haven't been there and you're young, maybe you will be there. You see, we are weak. And what's this saying is, in our weakness, he can bring his glorious strength. In our weakness, he can be with us. He can be there. He can help us. He is present. The Holy Spirit talks to us. He is going to get you through this because you know that one day it's all going to be over. But you know what? There's a coming glory. He's got you. He knows you. You are unique. He's got the very fingerprint of your soul. There are times in Christianity when life doesn't feel awesome. True? It's like the Lego movie. That horrible song. Life is awesome. It's awesome. You may not have watched it. It's a little Lego figure and they're all dancing together about it's awesome to be part of a team. It's awesome to work together. It's awesome. We can do it. Let's all go for it. But they discover, and there's a form of theology in Christianity that just keeps telling you it's awesome. It's awesome. You're doing really well. Awesome. Keep singing it. Smile at each other. It's awesome. And inside you know you're groaning. (laughs) Is that true? But in the groaning, in the weakness, in the knowledge of the groaning that creation groans, that our bodies groan, that the very cosmos groans for the great day when Christ will bring everything together. There's hope. And so you can leave this church this morning knowing 
that if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You're in a situation, you've got a generous father who's going to be with you through every situation. And if you need wisdom, his generosity, he is the most generous father. And he gives, he gives, he gives. He's going to give you the wisdom to get through this. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast. This word cast literally is it's a throw. Your problems, your anxieties, your difficulties, your pain, what you're going through, throw them to God. Keep throwing them to God. Keep going. Keep going. It's, a, it's not a passive word. It's not like cast, like here you are. It's got muscle to it. It's got strength to it. It reminds me when I was a young man in Wolverhampton going to the boxing club. And we all had to get there. And my boxing trainer with his cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Because everybody wanted to be Rocky back then. And, and I went jogging in the morning. Drank raw eggs. Threw up. And, and my boxing used to look at me. Go on, Phil. He said, put, put your whole weight. And I was not very good. I was like, ah. put your full weight behind it. It's from here. It's there. I'm danger giving, giving boxing lessons in a Mennonite church. And I'm, I'm in danger giving boxing lessons with, with, um, with some very capable um, uh, martial artists in this church. And and so on. But the key is to put your weight behind the punch so it's not in the wrist. It's in the whole power of everything you've got. Is that right? Good. Okay. This is what God's saying to you. Don't mess around. You're groaning. It's tough. Keep your eyes on glory. God is coming. You've got eternity. You're going through the problems of life, but pick up those problems in those prayers and with all the force, with all the might, with everything within you, with all your spiritual muscle, throw those problems to God. Give them to God. Because Christ took everything on the cross for you. I'm very happy to be a Christian this morning. Yeah? You have nothing to fear. He's got it. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that eternity is a gift that only is found not through splicing DNA, not through examining Worms. However, we are thankful for knowledge and science. It's not through bionics. We're thankful of how this has changed some lives amazingly. But true, true eternal life is found through the death 
and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life for every one of us. And I pray that you will help us to go a higher gear. Thank you that we are the first fruits of what you are doing. And maybe, Lord, there are people that don't know you. Or believers that have lost sight of the glory of Christ that will come. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come amongst us now and minister assurance to our souls. For a moment, maybe you are utterly backslidden. You've wandered into church because you're kind of, you've lost it. You've lost your view of glory. You've lost your understanding. You've groaned a lot, but in your groaning, you've walked away rather than walked in. Or maybe you're not a Christian. You've gone, wow, your heart's got faster. Your stomach's churning because you've said, give me this eternal life. How do I receive this eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on him. So... If you're watching online or you're right here in this room. If you need to become a Christian this morning, it's available for you. This is the prayer I prayed the day I gave my life to Jesus. You can adopt it if you want or say your own words. It's about dealing with the sin in your life. It's about being sorry. It's about seeking God. It's about desiring this new life. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I accept that I'm a sinner. I have failed you. Accept that I'm a sinner. I failed you. And I ask you to forgive me of all the wrong that is in my life. And I invite you to come and live within me. I give myself to you. And I receive you. As you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give myself to you now. I hand you my life. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray a prayer of blessing. Or if you're that person that is so far away, but now you're coming back to the coming to the glory of God. Just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. This morning, I get right with Jesus. I get right with Jesus. Anybody? Anybody in the balcony? God bless you right there. Get right with Jesus. There's only one person that gets right with Jesus tonight. I can go home and have my lunch happy. Anybody else? God bless you. Get right with Jesus.
everybody else. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that you're touching. And I pray for us as believers, we may live with that deep spiritual sense that the coming glory is there and that you are with us in this journey, Lord. Hallelujah. In your precious name, amen.